Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man whom I assume is happy to be back in studio with me. <laughs> His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello, I am indeed. After several delays, including me leaving all the mics and cables at home, <laughs> uh, yes, I'm excited to be back in the studio and finally recording. So we're recovering from our trip to Germany. Yes. And we are slightly less tightly scheduled than we were in Germany. Slightly less. Yeah, that was uh, in, an intense round of scheduling. It was very German. I am, that said, slightly more hungry over than I was in Germany because Virginia went blue last night and we were celebrating and I'm feeling it today. Well, speaking of blue, we uh, have some listener questions today and the first question what you've done here. is all about a man who wears blue. He is. Taylor, you want to ask, you want to ask the first question? I will because uh, with that in mind, when I tweeted out last night, Virginia is blue, I got a lot of like, I thought you were a Man United fan. I thought you were a Kickers <laughs> fan. There was some confusion. But Virginia is Everton? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then, yes, some of it was, it makes sense because Pulisic is there now, so you would be blue. Uh, Josh Handelman asks, now that Pulisic is starting games for Chelsea and getting goals and assists, can you give any analysis on why he's doing so well? What's he doing right that he wasn't doing earlier in the season? Ooh, okay. So, I mean, what, we got the hat trick mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, uh, the goal against Watford, um, a lot of like secondary assists yeah. in that 4-4 draw mm-hmm. with Ajax. Here's what I'm seeing. Um, he has a consistent position. So he's most often on the left side of a 4-3-3 and he's receiving the ball and he's bringing it inside. And the big change from early in the season is when he's dribbling, he's got that drift you know what I'm talking about? That thing where, especially when he starts it on the left, he'll receive the ball and he'll start running at people mm-hmm. and he'll just sort of drift in field with the ball and yeah. nobody tackles him. Mm-hmm. It's a special skill that Pulisic displayed at Dortmund and is displaying at Chelsea. And it's that thing of he's just just out of reach all the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like He keeps the ball out of reach but accelerates towards the middle. And I think it's starting to cause teams a lot of panic in the Premier League. And here's, the big difference I see is earlier in the season, he would... Um, try dribbling from deep, right? He'd start dribbling like yeah. in his own half and there's just too many bodies and you get tackled and, and it feels more dangerous, right? When you lose the ball there. Um, it's, and then when he'd get farther upfield, he'd be a bit more conservative. Like maybe he'd be a bit, um, what's the word? He'd like defer to teammates mm-hmm. and pass them the ball. Now it seems like he's all about getting in attacking positions, getting the ball and then drifting infield from the left into danger areas. Yeah, with that in mind, I would almost say um, this is one I feel less confident in, but I, with what you've just said, that all checks out and it makes me think that what I'm about to say is accurate, which is that I almost think maybe earlier in the season he was trying to do too much, which meant dropping further deep to try to get the ball yeah. because he is still making very aggressive direct runs. It's just now he's starting them further up the field, yeah. and he's more so part of a quick, rapid counterattack while he stays wide and then drifts inside. And I think because of that, that directness is rewarded more often than starting 30 yards back and trying to run directly. Now you've got more opposition players in front of you. It's going to limit the effectiveness of that approach. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think we're saying the same thing, basically, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. So we agree. That's good stuff. We do. I would also add a couple things. We talked about this previously. Frank Lampard had the very clarifying quote, I think like a week or two ago, about like, he didn't have any break coming into Chelsea. Uh, we had the he opportunity. Cut short, he cut right. short his rest, right? He wanted to like finish mm-hmm. with the U.S. and go straight back in and Lampard was like oh that's great but you know you're going to be tired exactly yes it was like he was tired we had people who could already play so we wanted to give him an opportunity to acclimate and I do think that was part of it is that he needed time to sort of learn the system learn his role within the system to your earlier point I think it's also that now he has kind of a dedicated area where he tends to operate we saw him sometimes central for Chelsea earlier on and I don't think that benefits him as well as like in the game against Watford this weekend he is very much on that touchline and then moves in when the situation requires, but yeah. he's starting wide and then drifting more centrally. It's like he's comfortable in his spot, right? Yes, yeah. I think so. I think I think that's a big part of it, and I think getting more comfortable is a huge aspect of it for me. That once you start to feel it a little bit more, and you can see that in the shots he's taking and the goals that he's getting. Yeah, especially Burnley, he took some um, I would call them low percentage mm-hmm. shots that kind of came off. Yeah, yeah, but like you have to do that, and it, and it goes to a, a point. I think we came off Burnley made. defenders. It did. <laughs> um, that I think he's kind of aggressively pursuing 1v1s. I think that's sort of what Chelsea have been told to do. Like, there's the the gif of Kurt Zuma when he has the great slaloming dribble from yesterday yeah. and then he rockets the ball over the bar. Sure but that still is him taking people on. And I think Lampard wants to see his attackers take people on. 
Pulisic seemed a little bit hesitant to do that earlier. Now we're or he did him, it in the wrong place. Or he did it in the wrong yeah. place. And now I think he's being much more direct mm-hmm. and much more self-confident when he tries to take those players on. And when you're believing yourself and going at an, an opponent, it's always going to be better than like, well, I hope this works. I also think there's a very basic thing of just he's more used to his teammates and yeah. his teammates are more mm-hmm. used to him. It just all connects a little bit better. They're just... Uh, just more understand more where Pulisic wants to run, mm-hmm. and he understands where they want to run, and things just click a little faster, right? Yeah, I mean, I, the, think, the, I know that's a very basic analysis, but I also think it's true. I think it is too, because like you look at the run uh, against Watford that led to his goal this weekend, yeah, and it's. It might look simple, but it's really, really clever. The way he always stays goal side, but then he gets away from his defender, but he cuts inside of another defender, and he always makes sure there are gaps open, but he puts himself in the position for mm-hmm. the easy kind of lateral pass. I can't remember who provides that pass, but they know that he's going to be there, which right. is not a thing that you would have said at the start of the season. No, you would not have. And I'm not sure he would have been there either. And so it's like they may not have played it to him because they may not have known, but he may not have sort of rewarded that ball had it have come. And yeah. this time he makes the direct, incisive run, gets on the end of it, finishes it, and rewards Towards the manager's faith in him. And I think as long as he continues to do that, he'll continue to play. I think well, we're enjoying it, right? Mm-hmm. It's, we're on a Pulisic high right now. Pulisic's yeah. on a high at Chelsea. It's probably worth noting that it's not going to last. I, right? I got uncomfortable when he said, now that he's starting for Chelsea and getting goals and assists, I was sort of like, let's, yeah. like a hat trick and then one more goal. Let's just calm it down. What's interesting, he didn't officially get an assist against Ajax, but yeah. he like won the penalty mm-hmm. and he had a couple of secondary assists. Yeah. So he, he's contributing to the attack all the time. But I do think, Pulisic's still a young player mm-hmm. and will have a dip in form. He'll get beat up in the Premier League yeah. enough that... Like, Mason Mount has had a little dip in form, mm-hmm. which I think has benefited Pulisic, yeah. right? His finishing was not great this weekend, Mason Mount. Mason, I didn't see, I didn't oh, see it, so much it this weekend. It could have weekend. been like 6-1. to one. He had a few chances that he hit right at Ben Foster. Ben Foster had some amazing saves. Ben Foster had an amazing save. Ryan and I talked about it on Pulisic. He, he goes for like a, a near-post header, and he has it like reverse off the back of his head, and Foster just tips it over the bar. Oh, the Burnley but it, special? But it was almost a flick-on brace for Christian Pulisic. So, but I'm just saying... We should brace mm-hmm. ourselves for there'll be a little dip in form, yeah. and maybe he'll be out of the team for a little bit, and maybe yeah. Hudson Odoi will take his place for a little bit. But now we have the evidence of he can do it. I feel a lot more comfortable with any little dip and a few games on the bench. It's kind of fine because it's yeah. not it's not all season. It's going to come in in a highs and lows. Yeah, he's yeah. shown that he Peaks can do values. it, so that then the manager knows, like, okay, I know he can play to this level. So even if he has a dip in form, the level has been established. Yeah. So you can then sort of give him a break and and expect him to get back to that point. There we mm-hmm. go. Um, all right, next question yeah comes from craig muir craig muir says if you could or asks if you could bring back any former u.s national team player in their prime and put them in this current u.s men's national team squad who would it be Mm -hmm. and why my answer to this is not what I thought it was going to be. I read these questions this morning, and I had like some immediate answers. I took the dogs for a long walk. This is the question that stuck in my head, and I ended up with my answer because I was thinking like, Please oh, we don't have the same answer. We need a uh, we need a striker, and to me, like Brian McBride is the obvious answer. Yeah. Maybe Clint Dempsey is the obvious answer. But with a lot of them, I feel like we're going to have the same one. Um, even like Eddie Pope, I thought like that would be cool to have like a really commanding center back. It would be cool to get the Pope back. It would be cool. Uh, but in the end, I was thinking about what this team needs, and I. I think it needs leadership. I think it needs fight. I think it needs technical ability through the middle. I think it needs a peak Jermaine Jones. Wow. That is my answer. Because I was realizing we never really saw Pete Jermaine Jones. Uh, he switched to the U.S. in October of 2009, mm-hmm. but due to injuries and sort of missing camps, he didn't make his first appearance until October 3rd, 2010. Mm-hmm. That was one month and one year before he turned 30. So he was basically 29 years old when he makes his first appearance, which is like at the tail end of peak Uh, performative years. And yet with all that, think about what we got from Jermaine Jones and how critical he was in patrolling midfields, like like knocking people off the ball, but being a technical, technically precise player to function within a system and score big goals and be a leader. And I think he brings all of that to this current team and we are a way better team. All right. I'm not going to argue because it is what we need right now. Um, I was saying in some ways we've got the sort of... um, uh, what, what do you call it? Like, we have Jermaine Jones Jr. and Weston McKinney. That's it. Yeah, I was going to exactly. say the, the chrysalis version mm-hmm. of Jermaine Jones. And Weston McKinney is not fully formed yet. But like his hero is Jermaine. Well, not his hero, but one of his role models at mm-hmm. Schalke is Jermaine Jones. Yeah. And that's the player he, he wants to be. Right. Here's a question. Where would that Jermaine Jones fit in the Greg Berhalter system? Mm-hmm. The that, number eight, maybe? That's the tough one because it's the number eight. I guess eight. the Weston McKinney role, yeah, right? That, Where you're like sometimes the six, sometimes the eight. Yeah. So he's going to be alongside Bradley again. I don't really love kicking Weston out, but I do like the idea of maybe playing him elsewhere. Maybe you put him as the 10, you let Pulis 
regardless it go yeah. wide. I mean, you could lose Weston for better Weston, which is yeah. what Jermaine Jones is. Yeah, but I still want Weston around. Yeah. I, I, best Weston. Best Weston. It did make me want to email some people and ask, like, how much better is Jermaine Jones than Weston McKinney? Yeah. I, but, but I do think in his prime, he is probably one of the better players on the current national team. So I'm good with Jermaine Jones coming back. And then, as I said, just for all of the, the fight and the snow fro and everything that yeah. he brought, the goal against Portugal, I need those moments again, and I feel like Jermaine Jones <laughs> could deliver them. I went with Clint Dempsey. Mm-hmm. Yep, I went with Clint Dempsey because um, he's not a guy that would follow the rigid bearhalter patterns of play. Mm-hmm. Like when he goes here, you go here, and you make this run. We know that Clint Dempsey is not the type of guy that would... He wouldn't like maybe argue with it. He just would go out there and kind of not do it. Mm-hmm. He would improvise himself and probably make something happen. And I think he's, he'd uh, Pete, Pete Clint Dempsey we're talking is so good that Bearhalter wouldn't be able to drop him. So I think Dempsey's improv might be enough to break the rigidity of the Bearhalter system. I, this isn't uh, this isn't what you were saying, but it's now sort of led me to wonder this. Is part of the problem that we don't have players like Clint Dempsey who have sort of been there so long that they'll be like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. This isn't going to work. And like they don't ha- we don't have the players who have the kind of authority in the locker room to make Greg Berhalter adjust a little bit. Like, Maybe. I think if Clint Dempsey's there, to your point, he's like, no, I'm, I'm going to do what I need to do, not even in a really selfish way. But I, I even think, here's my guess, obviously, mm-hmm. um, I think he would like, do the patterns in practice and all that kind of stuff. But when it came to game day, he would know, um, I'm going to do my Clint Dempsey stuff, right? He would try stuff. He would bring an air of unpredictability. And some of the fight that, maybe not in terms of ground cover, but in Mm -hmm. terms of attitude, he brings some of the fight that Jermaine Jones does, right? So you get that extra bit as well. I think he could be sort of the striker in this Greg Berhalter system um, and bring some unpredictability to the team. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. I'm not not disagreeing, but the reason why I like didn't end up going with Clint Dempsey, and I'm wondering if you have thoughts on this, is because like by all accounts – Dempsey, a great player, like a great figure for U.S. soccer, not necessarily a leader, not necessarily a guy who is going to like watch every single game and figure out yeah, all yeah. the tactics. No, he's not and, a leader. He's a difference maker. Right. And so are you okay with that? Because I feel like this team needs more leadership and needs more vocal, like, yo, let's get going. And that to me is Jermaine Jones more so hey, than Hey, this isn't a thing where we argue about our No, I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, would that be, do you feel like that would be an issue? Or are you just sort of like, no, he brings the creativity and skill that it kind of I just doesn't think, matter. I think the most important thing mm-hmm. is someone who, their very presence and mm-hmm. their style of play would alter the Bearhalter system. Okay. And I think Clint Dempsey's presence would do that. All right. Yeah. That's, so that to me, that's the most important thing. All right. I like it. Let's bring them both back. Let's bring them both back. <laughs> and also maybe Eddie Phelps. Doesn't this make you realize how much you love the teams of the past as well? When we're talking about the eras of Dempsey and Jones, it's not even yeah. that long ago. No, yeah. it's it's always it's always difficult in the moment to like like were they good as like were they that good at passing? Was Eddie Pope that good playing out of the back? But we just did our our US draft for our like all time US roster for yeah. Soccer One Hundred and One, which will be released very soon. Mm-hmm. By the way, if you're not subscribed to Soccer One Hundred and One, get yeah. on it. US US Men's National Team All Time Eleven will be coming out. Yes, and when you go back and watch some of those players, not only were they good enough for now, they were in some cases maybe better than now. Yeah. Some of the patterns of play and the quick passing sequences very impressive. And yeah. yes. I definitely miss those. Oh, dear. Also, with Dempsey, I'm now thinking we missed out on the Dempsey-Pulisic connection, which would have happened at the 2018 World Cup, right? It might have been Dempsey coming off the bench and it wouldn't be peak Dempsey. Mm -hmm. But I do remember just a few moments in qualifying when things went well, you know, the big wins over Honduras and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of link-up between Dempsey and Pulisic. And it was like old crafty man who with clever passes and this pacey young guy who can run past people I, I would have loved to see that to see that connection yeah. and I'd love to see it again because by the time like we started getting them in the same teams it was usually when it was like Dempsey for 30 minutes and we thought yeah. maybe he was on the outs with Bruce Arena or wasn't so thrilled mm-hmm. that is a pretty good what if I also think Jermaine Jones going to the 2010 World Cup is another great historical what if but yeah. it wasn't so that, to you be. said that was just an injury problem essentially yeah like he had been it was like a long term injury like I remember writing like US roster depth charts like six months before the World Cup and he had played in a year or like six months and it was still like but maybe but maybe we'll get him in there because he's just that good oh lots more mm-hmm. questions to come but first taylor let's talk about today's sponsor dollar shave club mm-hmm. uh, when i talk about dollar shave club when we talk about dollar shave club we are talking about the quality of their products and i will say this to the quality of their products yesterday i had to do a like rapid fire shaving because we were going out to celebrate the election sounds and, dangerous and i needed to look uh i need to look clean and sophisticated because we were around my wife's co-workers and you know 
they're not soccer slobs in their in, the, in their soundproofed office. Um, and and with the Dollar Shave Club products, specifically the shave lather, I also used a little bit of the shave butter just to see what happens when you double up. And the answer is you get a wonderful, wonderful shave <laughs> with no nicks, no cuts, and most importantly, not a lot of irritation and bumps. And you don't end up looking like a 14-year-old who just learned how to shave. Instead, you look like a proper adult. Let me take a look. You approve? Can confirm. Okay. Can confirm. No I think you actually did just books. inspect my face. I mean, yeah, and, I took okay. a good look. I got a little nervous there. <laughs> In case it was one you'd missed. Yes. <laughs> Thanks to Dollar Shave Club, there was not. Nothing. Um, they're not all about just shaving products, this right? They've also expanded. You can get the shampoo, mm-hmm. which I love. You can get the... Uh, well, the, I don't use the prep scrub to shave. I just use the prep scrub to exfoliate. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's the intended. I guess it can do both things, right? Mm-hmm. It can exfoliate and prepare you for a shave. It's the best, especially in the winter. Uh, it reminds me of when I would go to like the Turkish baths in Istanbul and you'd get the, like the, the scrub that they would do there, and yeah, you'd yeah. walk outside and be like, I feel everything. <laughs> and that's what the prep scrub does as well. It was, it was chilly yesterday. I walked outside. I was like, ooh, like I can feel things that I didn't feel yesterday. Yep. Dollar Shave Club helping me feel feelings. And here's the thing. In the, so in the copy they send us, mm-hmm. they ask us to mention the quality of the product. Yep. If we didn't believe in it, we just straight up wouldn't say it. This is right? true. We absolutely will not read copy that we don't think mm-hmm. is true. But we're both very happy to talk about the quality of the Dollar Shave Club products because – because they bring it. Yes, but if you <laughs> yourself want to try the quality of the product, uh, you can put the quality of Dollar Shave Club's products to the test. Their ultimate shave starter set has basically everything you need for an amazing shave, the executive razor, shave butter, prep scrub, and post-shave do. The best part is you can try it for just $5 right now. After that, the restock box ships regular-sized products at regular prices. Get your ultimate starter shave set for just $5 at dollarshaveclub.com slash TSS. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash TSS. Thank you very much to Dollar Shave Club for sponsoring today's episode. Back to some listener questions. Up next is Chris Jackson asking, if Burhalter were fired, would Jill Ellis be considered for the job? What would be the positives and negatives of hiring her, and what would she bring to the team? So I think if Berhalter were fired, Gilles would not be in the running for the job because she's shown no interest in coaching right. men's soccer, mm-hmm. right? It's not a thing that she's ever said, hey, here's what I want to do next, right? Correct. So I don't think that she's a, a realistic uh, possibility. So don't go thinking that, that she might be the next coach. Yeah, can I jump in there for a moment? Yeah. Because I, I totally agree with you to the extent that I know there are some people who jump back and forth. Phil Neville like, wants to coach, I, I'm assuming, like the England national team at some point on the men's side, but is coaching the women. But with those exceptions aside, I, I do sort of think that coaching women's soccer and men's soccer, it's like coaching two different sports because you have to factor in the physicality, the long ball, all these different things that maybe are different about the women's game than the men's game and vice versa. So I well, think It's also it, just knowing the world, right? If, like, Gillette is probably an expert mm-hmm. in women's soccer, top to bottom, mm-hmm. knows all the players. She's putting all her, all her energy into knowing women's soccer. She's not going to have as deep a knowledge of men's soccer. Mm-hmm. It's two different worlds in that way, right? It's like you, there's two different databases. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like I would say, this may sound ridiculous, but like I think if you brought Pep Guardiola in, he would struggle because it, it, it's a different game going both ways. That yeah. he, like It's just going to be a, a different thing that he would have to adapt to. I'm sure he could, but I don't think that you can just say like, oh, you've had success here, so you'd have success there. I think it is much more nuanced and challenging than that. It's also, uh, Jerry's had great success with the women's national mm-hmm. team. Essentially, um, getting the best out of a superstar team, right? That's she created an environment where these sort of best players in the world could um, feel comfortable and feel hyper-competitive. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very different environment to create than what you'd need to create with the men's team, which is to get a bunch of middleweights to fight above their weight class. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> think, that, I think that would be a big problem is that she is used to managing some of the best players yeah. in the world. She's used he... to dominance. She's used to being able to put Crystal Dunn at left back that's and, the it, thing. and it work out. Right. You can't do that no. with the US men's national team. I mean, team. It, it, it is the equivalent of coaching Brazil or Germany and just having this incredible surplus of talent that you have to find a way to make everybody fit into. Whereas with the men's team, I mean, here we are begging to have Clint Dempsey and Jermaine Jones back because <laughs> there is a lack of quality in certain positions. And then there's also being the men's national team coach obviously brings mm-hmm. a lot of scrutiny. Being the first uh, female men's national team coach yep. would have all kinds of scrutiny and like a weird novelty value that would invite a lot of um, press attention from all over the world that maybe wouldn't be a good thing for the team. Yeah, I mean, that I, I see what you're saying. I do think that like... If you're looking for pros, I don't think there are many, but maybe that's one is like it brings positive PR to the program at a time when people don't yeah. have much positive to say about the U.S. men's team. That to have like your first female coach for the U.S. men, and I think for at least in terms of like soccer that I can recall, uh, that would be a positive maybe potentially. Yeah, and I would say if she was interested, mm-hmm. if she suddenly said, hey, I want to do this, I'd be interested to see it happen, to see, to see how it went down. 
I don't mean this to be like like discourteous to Jill Ellis. Would you re- would you want to see her come in and take over the men's team right away, or would you rather see her like with the U twenty threes so that she can sort of get her footing, see what it's all about, and then move to that next level? I mean, it'd be nice if she could, yeah, coach the Olympics first mm-hmm. and and then take the senior team. But I'd be all in just to see what happens with the senior team. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, do you have any other pros? Because I I honestly did struggle to think of uh, I mean, positives. The the obvious pro, uh, which is the reason the question was asked, is that she has a track record mm-hmm. of being very successful in international football. This is true. <laughs> yeah. So there is that. There is that. There is that. I just I still struggle with the like. Is it the case that if you have far and away the best players in the world? Like it makes it that much easier. Yeah. Would she have been able to do this with a lesser yeah. women's national team? Well, we'll think of think of another pro is that we did see um, a lot of Gillelis tactical tweaks mm-hmm. throughout the World Cup. She would capitalize on certain things or shut down certain things the in the game opposition. Was a key example. Yeah, mm-hmm. wasn't there a game where she used? Um, Rapino essentially had a quiet game yeah. just because she was... She was like tracking back, right? She was tracking yeah. back. I can't remember who the opponent was, but... It would probably be France, I think, with Amel Majri maybe overlapping on the right-hand side. Could, and she's yeah, that could deeper. be it. Yeah, that could be it. So we haven't seen much of that kind of thing yeah. from Berhalter, right? Mm-hmm. So that would be a pro that she would okay. bring to the game, yeah. potentially, yeah. I, yes, I, I think, okay, I can take that pro. Yeah. But I, I do not think she would be considered, nor do I think she would want to be considered. Because she, would put the, she would put US soccer in an interesting position if she said... I'm interested in this job because mm-hmm. then they'd have to. I don't. I don't. I don't really think they would give her the opportunity because they haven't shown a great respect for the women's national team. Nope. Um, but it would certainly put U.S. Soccer in an interesting position if she put herself forward. This is true. I. I do think she's probably in a place where she needs to be wise about what job she takes next because right yeah. now she has this back-to-back world champions resume and then if so, if she coached the men and it went horribly that tarnishes that reputation a little bit yeah. so I do think she'll be careful in her uh, job opportunities going forward yeah. but maybe she takes the men who knows maybe she's like yeah oh, I want to coach a good team <laughs> alright <laughs> next question Joey Jadlowski yes, asks <clears throat> if you were commissioner of Major League Soccer <clears throat> and looking to grow the popularity of the league in the United States which I guess the commissioner is always looking to do, mm-hmm. which would be the more important segment to focus your efforts on? Is it A, Euro snobs who already watch soccer but are resistant to MLS? Um, or is it B, casual American sports fans who watch the big four sports but are not interested in soccer? All right. Uh, here's my answer. It should be the Euro snobs, but because of how the Euro snobs behave, it's the casual American sports fans. But that, if you were sitting at your desk as commissioner, mm-hmm. you'd go after the casual American sports yes. fans. Mm-hmm. Why, so why so? Because I think with Euro snobs, you still have to break through a lot of walls of, oh, you're just copying. Like all of the selling points of the league, the argument in response would be like, oh, you're just copying other people. Oh, scarves and flags and smoke and flares and TIFOs. Oh, that's just done everywhere else. And it's done better in Germany and in Spain and Italy and what have you. And so you're always going to have more of that like negativity to start. Whereas I think about like Leslie Jones and J.J. Watt, people who have a passing interest in soccer. In J.J. Watt's case, I think he played, but then it was too low scoring for him. He tweeted about that this weekend. Leslie Jones, I don't know if she has any background in soccer, but she got into the atmosphere. She got into the playoffs. She really liked Jordan Morris. And like, Is I think playoffs she was watching. I believe so. Yeah, yeah it was a couple seasons ago. Uh, I don't think it was last year. It might have been the year before, but I could be wrong. But I think if you're sort of, I thought it was the World Cup. Uh, it was definitely Jordan Morris for Seattle. She was all, <laughs> all about uh, JMO's move. Okay. Uh, and, but I think like if you get people in on playoffs and the atmosphere and how intense it can be at times, Atlanta United, Seattle fans, Portland fans, you get those great atmospheres. And I think you can sort of bring people in with that and with the culture and then at – at the same time, a thing we've talked about recently is how you have a lot of money invested in attack and less money in defense. Yeah. So you get more goals and you're getting more crazy attacking plays and you still get the kind of fluky moments that make for interesting sports center top 10 or not top 10 as yeah. the situation may be. And I think all of that probably being, brings in people who are maybe tired of, of NFL and concussions and the controversies there and maybe baseball's a little bit too slow. So maybe you pick up some people that way. So I would have the opposite approach. Okay. I'm not going to argue with you about mm-hmm. it. I'm just, uh, when I sat down at if I sit down at my desk as commissioner, mm-hmm. I'd be going after the Euro snobs. And the reason being is that I think um, the the people who are sort of not interested in soccer, who like, you know, NFL, mm-hmm. NBA, NASCAR, whatever, they're just not interested in soccer at all. 
Um, and at least the Euro snobs have got taken that one step forward where they're already interested in soccer, mm-hmm. right? So there's a way that, like, if you essentially bring up the respectability of the league in their eyes, you, they are gettable in that they will then start respecting the league. I think these other people, the the casual American sports fans, if they're going to get into soccer, they may be more interested to go World Cup first, and then maybe they'll go Champions League, and they may they may de- demand the best, you know what I mean? And they wouldn't start with Major League Soccer. But I I, I feel like they wouldn't demand the best if they don't know what the best is. So that's- that's kind of where my answer came from. My question for you, though, is, as you said, like, you've got to bring the respectability up. Yeah. Like, like how would you do that? Or what would be your approach then? I mean, essentially just making the league better. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to try to pull in uh, Euro snobs by just, like, making everything else better and then, like... Yeah, move. essentially okay. just improve the overall quality of the league. I mean, you, I'll be talking, like, like pro-rel, mm-hmm. no salary caps, oh, just make it make it more European-style league. I think we're going to answer some questions about those and two things in just a moment. you potentially bring the Euro snobs in, right? Whereas I'm not sure the casual American sports fans are get about. I think there are certain people who still have that suckers for communists attitude and they're just not they're not willing to to even give it a chance. Yeah, but I wouldn't say and I'm mean, not sure Rail Salt Lake versus um Sporting KC is going to is going to convince them. I know you don't want to like debate this or argue this. I just I just fundamentally disagree with you. It's fine. That's yeah. why when they when it comes someone's going to have to choose you for commissioner or yeah. me for commissioner. Because, because I think like my final thing The real that, answer is both, right? You should go after yeah, both. You yeah. think you should. I like my point earlier like like the initial thing I was saying though is like I think because Euro snobs have put themselves not even like snobs but just people who prefer watching the Premier League or prefer watching the Bundesliga like they're already in this sort of like eh, MLS isn't that good and so you have to bring them up to that level of like no but see look how good it actually is and you're yeah. like really having to aggressively sell them in my mind versus casuals I feel like you can bring them in with a little bit less effort but that's just my perspective there yeah I mean I'd argue that it's more effort to get them to even care about soccer at all right if that's they're just possible. not like I'd argue the Euros are at least a step closer and that they will watch 11 v 11 men trying to kick a ball into a net I think you just don't care about JJ Watt or Leslie Jones and <laughs> to me that's disrespectful and hurtful Nice try. Nice try. Um, Something that's not hurtful Mm -hmm. is today's sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by Manscaped, Mm -hmm. the number one men's below-the-belt grooming company. Right. So we talked about Dollar Shave Club, how they've got you covered with your face, with your hair, with your your teeth. You can buy the toothbrush. We did that in the top half of the show. Yeah. But like, if you don't want to maybe cross the razors, uh, then you've got Manscaped. Yeah. Yeah. You want to keep, you know, you don't want to mix those up and suddenly you're shaving or like trimming the wrong part of your body with the wrong groom. Tool. Don't shave down there with what you use up there. Mm-mm. Instead, use Manscaped, the number one in men's below the belt grooming, as you said. Uh, they have the Lawnmower 2.0, which has proprietary skin safe technology, so there will be no nicking, no snagging. Top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to assume there's a lot of research went into the Lawnmower 2.0. Yes. I would hate to have seen the sort of early experiments with the rejected Lawnmowers. Mm-hmm. Lawnmower 0.1. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to see the footage. I mean, of that. it was they had it. It is no longer available. You can go to the website and see. No, not I said for sale. I said 0.1. Oh, not point one. <laughs> I see. Um, but like, I do think they they've put a lot. I mean, obviously they've put research into it. But if you look at how it's designed, we've talked about it before. It's it's smaller. It's more compact. But it's got a, like a lot of power. So I think it gets the job done quickly. But it also has like a nice little like carrying pouch. So if you're a little bit embarrassed about like you know carrying around your uh, downstairs grooming accoutrement, you can just like suddenly just in a nice little cloth bag and, and you're good to go. Why would you be embarrassed about being better groomed than other men? I mean, I, I don't know other than to say that oh, this copy always makes me slightly uncomfortable. <laughs> Same. Uh, <laughs> if you want to get 20% <laughs> off and free shipping, use the code TSS at manscaped.com. Mm-hmm. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code TSS. Mm-hmm. To clarify, the act itself does not make me uncomfortable because, you know, it's it's grooming. It's what you should do. It's just more so talking about it to people listening on their commute home or, you know, with kids in the car. Hi, kids. Uh, <laughs> that's what makes me uncomfortable. But what doesn't make me uncomfortable is having Manscaped as a sponsor because we enjoy them. Because, again, if we didn't believe in the quality, we wouldn't be talking about them. So thank you very much to Manscaped for sponsoring today's episode. Manscaped.com. The link will be in the show notes. And the code, once again, is TSS for 20% off plus free shipping. All right, Daryl, you talked about ProRel. You talked about uh, salary caps. It was let's, on my mind for some reason. Let's talk about that a little bit more because Ryan Downey asks, which rule change would impact Major League Soccer more, no salary cap or promotion relegation? Definitely promotion relegation Agreed. would impact Major League Soccer more. Here's my thinking. Um, if you if the rules changed so that there was no salary cap, meaning any team can spend as much as it wants, yep. um, you would get Atlanta United spending millions and millions and millions. Mm-hmm. You would still get teams like uh, say Colorado Rapids. I was, gonna, I was wondering who you were going to go with. Not spending so much. Mm-hmm. But that team could just languish in last place in the standings 
and not get relegated. Cough, right? cough, DC United. Cough, right. cough. But you mm-hmm. can you can sort of get left behind, yep. but still participate in MLS, and yeah. there's no punishment. Still be in the same league. Yeah. Promotion relegation means that those teams who languish at the bottom would have to up their game, or they risk uh, falling through the trap door yeah. into the second division. Yeah, I mean, because even with other sports like uh, like Major League Baseball has the luxury tax. I think uh, basketball does too. So then, if you go over the cap, you have to like give some money back, and that goes to the teams that aren't spending. But even then, you're sort of incentivizing. Uh, a team to not spend, they get a little bit of money, and they can kind of be confident knowing that even if we finish last, we're still in the league, we're still around, yeah. and we can just keep saving and saving and saving, and then eventually we'll spend some money. But it doesn't put the pressure on you immediately the way promotion relegation obviously would. Meanwhile, please buy uh, tickets to 80 home games. <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> um, but with ProRail, because you have that threat of dropping down, because you have that threat of being replaced, you can't rest on your laurels. You would have to spend, you would have mm-hmm. to compete, and it would bring about that sort of uh, competition and, and maybe raise the game a little bit more, maybe then you get your snobs in there. You probably would if you had ProRail. <laughs> the other thing, if you're taking this question from me, um, in terms of which would actually impact Major League Soccer, adding ProRail would impact it because you would have a lot of lawsuits because <laughs> the owners who got into Major League Soccer when they did did not get into it spending $200, $250 million yeah. to then potentially get kicked out of the league well, for not doing well. I mean, it depends how ProRail comes about, right? If it comes about mm-hmm. with like a, a vote from the owners and they agree to it, yeah. like, it and that's really the only way it's going to come about, mm-hmm. right, is if MLS owners agree to it. But yeah, if it's imposed from above, yeah, lawsuits galore. Yep. And years and years of it, right? It would mm-hmm. go on forever. It certainly yeah. would. You yeah. thought the Affordable Care Act uh, challenge yeah. went a long time. Wait for wait for ProRail. And that's not to say that, like, th- and therefore it shouldn't happen, because the reality is if you had ProRail, then instead of, like, what I kept going to was, like, FC Cincinnati this year, we know expansion teams always struggle their first season unless they're Atlanta United, <laughs> but uh, maybe Portland. Well, LFC? Um, and Seattle. Okay. But generally, being an expansion team is kind of difficult. Um, and so, like, I, that was where my head went. Is like, it would be a shame to bring in a new team and then they immediately get relegated. But obviously, if you have ProRail, then you're not starting in, the, in Major League Soccer in the top division. Mm-hmm. You can start at a lower level for less money, find your footing, establish yourself, and then you build and build and build, and then you get to that level. Now here's the easy answer to Ryan's question. Which rule change would impact MLS more? Mm-hmm. It's ProRail because that would literally change the teams in Major League Soccer. Also true. <laughs> <laughs> Well said. Well said, sir. Next question is from Raghav Gupta. Mm-hmm. Raghav asks, given the Shaka drama, who are some of the best captains in the Premier League and around the world? Did, you, you, got find, did you find this question like harder to answer than you anticipated? Yeah, because I think it's hard for us not being in locker rooms slash mm-hmm. room, dressing rooms to know who the good captains are. We can only make observations from the outside and maybe based on a few quotes from mm-hmm. players here and there. It's, just yeah. a, it's a tough thing to gauge from the outside. It is. Yeah. And then I think it, like I looked at all 20 teams and kind of scrolled through and there's a lot of teams that have captains that maybe are like ceremonial or are yeah. there for longevity, if not necessarily like being the motivational figure. Ashley Young at Man United would be yeah. one. Wes Morgan at Leicester would be another. So the two I settled on were uh, Jordan Henderson at Liverpool. Same. Because I think he's a consistent performer who's not really the like focal point of the team, but then simultaneously is the focal point of the team at yep. times. He's not the one that everybody's focusing on. And if he has a bad game, it's his fault. And it's why Liverpool aren't doing well. There's so many other big performers there that he's almost the kind of metronome, the glue that has to kind of keep things moving and I think also adjust his game to suit whatever Jurgen Klopp is asking. I've heard him referred to by Steven Gerrard as mm. the best professional I've ever worked there with. Just the most committed, like he's always setting the best example in terms of, I assume meaning like be on time for practice, put 100% effort in for practice, like absolute example of a player. Mm. And I think just from the outside, you could argue that, that setting that kind of example is what's led to Liverpool being this sort of really relentless, never say die mm. team, right? You would never accuse them of letting standards drop. And that's right. why they essentially had a Premier League winning season Mm -hmm. last year in terms of form, actually won the Champions League and look like the favourites to win the Premier League this year, including things like going 1-0 down to Aston Villa and the big comeback Mm -hmm. uh, this past weekend. That all comes about because they never let standards drop and I think a lot of that stems from Jordan Henderson. And then at the same time, he's willing to sacrifice and play, literally play out of position, right? He Mm -hmm. played number six when he really wants to be a number eight for a long, long time. Yeah, but then like he'll go and like, he'll go play like right wing to like pin pin an opposition player back to create more space. He did that against Man United and I think he he adjusts what's being asked of him and I think that's what a captain has to do. The other Gerald quote was Henderson always puts himself at the back of the queue mm-hmm. so that others can benefit. See, 
There we go. Yeah. But like that, I'm glad you did that research because the other thing that I made read this, one article. Eh, it counts to me because <laughs> the other thing that made this kind of difficult is like I think unless you are really invested in the team, it's hard to really know. So like I can look at like kind of big name players like even Jordan Henderson. I'm not a Liverpool fan, so I can appreciate what he does, but at the same time. Because I'm not following them week in, week out, I don't get as many of those stories of like, oh, and he did this, and he helped this new player, yeah, yeah. and he bought this guy a car, and whatever, that makes you feel like, oh, I get it. So a lot of this is coming from just my experience and my beliefs, and yeah, one v- of those... Virgil van Dijk turned up in Liverpool with a bicycle. <laughs> yeah, that was it, exactly. And then Steven Gerrard taught him what's what. Um, but I would say the one that like maybe I, I could be totally wrong, I'm not a huge Watford fan, but I also kind of love Captain Troy Deeney <laughs> because he is like simultaneously jovial and that you can see where he makes jokes and he's a kind of like like happy figure and then is also at the same time intimidating and will knock people around and will make things happen yeah. and will expect his teammates to do the same. Are you always surprised by how friendly he is yes. when he's interviewed because mm-hmm. he looks like he should be like really angry all the time. Yep. Yeah. He's yeah. like a Hulk. But then like and I think part of that he <laughs> he's is. He's the Hulk during the game and he's Bruce Banner when he's interviewed. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I was I'm, the yeah wasn't disagreeing with that. It was more like I don't think this is a spoiler because if you haven't seen What's the last in- Avengers? Not Infinity War, but... Endgame. Endgame. If you haven't seen Endgame, it's not it's even really a spoiler. While, right? But, like, you know how, like, Hulk in that one has the, like, he has an out of control where he's, like, taking selfies and dabbing? Yeah. That's what Troy Deeney is. Like, he's <laughs> he's this, like, physically intimidating figure who at the same time will give you very candid, candid answers and be very charming and, like, funny. And so you get both sides of it. And I, and I, I guess that's what I would want in a leader as a person who will knock people off the ball and score those yep. goals, but then also simultaneously, like, have a joke and, like, you know, have some good fun in the locker room. Uh, I can also say I'm a big fan of Connor Cody mm-hmm. as Wolf, like as Wolves captain. I'm really, really happy with him as Wolves captain. He's another one who you know saw himself as a midfielder. Mm-hmm. Nuno came in and said, "Hey, I think you are um, the center center back in a back three. And Connor Cody was like, "All right, let's try that." And I feel <laughs> like that sort of represents uh, the sort of big change in approach at Wolves. The fact that a senior player was just willing to go with it. Huh? I think it speaks well of Connor Cody. Okay, yeah. I like that one. Did you have any from around the world? I did not. I okay. went Jordan Henderson. I kind of thought my work was done because I forgot that Ragav asked for around well, the world. So I'm hoping that you found some. I have, but I've kind of gone historical because okay. I, same thing as I said. Like I don't feel like I have the familiarity to say, oh, this guy at Bayern Munich or this person at Madrid or whatever is really like the one who's doing it. I, I don't watch them enough in my mind to feel comfortable saying that. So what I actually ended up doing was going historical, and I would say the the few that came to mind for me in terms of like all time captains that pop into my head right away: Iker Casillas at Real Madrid for the success he had and the longevity and the stability he provided; Francesco Totti uh, at Roma for the longevity of his career, and then Roy Keane for being a psychopath. <laughs> I think I would add um, Raúl for self sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he obviously he's Madrid through and through, but he left when he was getting a little less effective. Yep. And the same for Spain; he essentially. Uh, I think he was Spain captain, and Euro 2008, he just took himself out of the run and said, hey, I'm just going to step aside and let David Villa, Fernando Torres, mm-hmm. and let those guys be the strikers. I so have... recognizing maybe when you're not, you might be senior, but you're not the most effective anymore. I think that is the nice way to interpret that. The other way, which is how I like had that same thought, and then I was like, yeah, but then as soon as he quit being captain, they won three straight things in a row. Yeah, so because maybe... he quit. <laughs> right. But he sacrificed may... himself. <laughs> but like, maybe like... that means that he was a problem. He's like Aslam. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's, he you, went to the stone table and they won three trophies in a row. You can have your Raul if you want. But <laughs> I, I do think, I know this is my Man United homerism, but Roy Keane really establishing that, like, nothing is fun here, everything is serious, and we will win at all costs because yeah. everything is serious all the time. Mm-hmm. I would not love playing in that system. Roy Keane and I would not get along. I guarantee you I would be way too happy for him. It's uh, a version of what we talked about with Jordan Henderson. I think mm-hmm. Jordan Henderson maybe just does it in a more friendly yeah. way, but it's about setting standards, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, and, it, and it's about demand sincere professionalism and I think rewarding the people who bring that to the table and uh, punishing those who don't (laughs) uh, on and off the field verbally and physically. All right, Tyler, next question. Yeah, that works for me. Uh, Robert Cordova asks, Bastian Schweinsteiger has retired. I guess that's more of a statement. (laughs) Then he asks, how do you view his career? Ooh, Mm -hmm. I think it's a long career, right? So there's that. Yep. And I think the thing I have in my head is how he's almost two different players. Um, I remember... I think I first really became aware of him World Cup 2006 when mm-hmm. Germany hosted. If I remember correctly, he was like a, a pacey attacking... I remember him as yeah. like an attacking winger. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't know if he was quick or not, but he was an attacking right winger. Mm-hmm. And so I remember Bastian Schweinsteiger. But then um, as his career evolved, he became more of a... Uh, central midfielder who essentially ran the game through a mix of um, never-ending energy, Mm -hmm. um, 
mixed with um, intelligent passing, like intelligent decisions, and deadly shots from distance. So um, I think in the end, in my head, he's gone from a winger, who's one thing, to a player who... A midfielder who more or less has everything and can control a game. Mm-hmm. Um, with that oh, and, said, and then he kind of through injuries regressed yeah. to a midfielder who didn't have the pace and energy or knees to get all over the field. Uh, still had moments, but couldn't influence a game the way he used to. And I'm thinking of him at Manchester United. Yeah, I was going to say he came in contact with Man United. That's what happened. Yeah, well, they, they, they infect your career. But it wasn't Man United that did it to him. Right? It might have been. It was the knee injuries. It could as be I understand both. it. It could be both. I think <laughs> as soon as you sign for the team, it's just like, oh, and by the way, your performance is going to dip twenty percent. That's just part of the deal. That's how it works. Um, I do think, in terms of how I view his career, I'm going to say disappointment because he could not even take the Chicago Fire to the World Cup, <laughs> let alone win it with them. And I think that was an expectation we all had. He did raise expectations in Chicago that they could win the World this Cup. This is though. true. Um, no, in, in all seriousness, and like I feel slightly uncomfortable because this is maybe just too stereotypical, but it, it is how I view his career is that he is the definitive German player <laughs> in that he is like a professional. Like We've never heard anything about him getting into hijinks off the field or causing problems or getting into locker room altercations. He's disciplined in that he had a very long career and was very successful for a very long time. He was a leader, but he brings it like there's that ruthlessness and that efficiency in those Bayern Munich teams that he will always personify. Like I yeah. remember like Man United when I supported them or just watching him in the cha- when I supported them against Bayern Munich uh, or like watching him in the Champions League and just expecting Bayern Munich to find a way to win and he was very like key in that and an instrumental figure in those teams and then you look at the success he had at club level uh, Bayern of like the Bayern juggernaut coming through their academy eight titles in 12 seasons that's a decent return plus mm-hmm. a Champions League and a World Cup title so he wins all the silverware but just is so dominant in the Bundesliga and then in that Germany uh, in that World Cup team that it yeah. all just kind of comes together it's just occurred to me that um, his career tracks the rise of that Yogi Love team yes right so 2006 is Klinsmann as coach Yogi Love as the assistant and it's kind of like a youthful optimism about the team and it's a young Bastian mm-hmm. Schweinsteiger um, 2010 it's the Yogi Love team and I think Schweinsteiger is one of the key performers mm-hmm. um, in 2010 but they're not quite fully formed it's not quite ready to win the World Cup and in 2014 he's obviously a much more um, seasoned mature midfielder and mm-hmm. it's a much more this is the final product kind of team and they win the 2014 World Cup so his career tracks perfectly with the rise of that German team and yeah. then as he gets um, older and injured and mm-hmm. retires from international football is when Germany are kind of not so dominant again very true and, and I think with that in mind with how good that German team consistently were only winning one World Cup only but still <laughs> just being uh, I think what they were like runners up in a Euro they, I think they were runners up in a, in a World Cup or at least maybe finished third place yeah. 2008 Euros I'm but sure. 121 appearances for that German team yeah, yeah, is yeah. Uh, no mean feat alright um, also I oddly think of him as a one club man mm-hmm. even though he left Bayern and went to Manchester United and then to Chicago Fire. yeah I think that's fair I think it's like the, the modern equivalent of a one club man where no mm-hmm. one actually does it anymore like Gerard, you think of as a Liverpool one club man mm-hmm. but then I also want to play for the LA Galaxy. I mean, Francesco Totti would like a word with you. I'm, I'm sure he would. I'd <laughs> happily talk to him. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think that, I think that's what it is for me. It's like as as lazy as that might sound, I think I have reasons for it. That to me, he is like the definitive Bayern Munich German. That's what I'm going <laughs> with. That's what that's what I view his career as being. <laughs> All right, plenty more questions to come. But first, today's mm-hmm. show is sponsored by our friends at. Talisman and Co., which is mm. what they're really called. We call them Talisman Caps because the we website do. is talismancaps.com. But Talisman and Co., I think if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you will have heard about Talisman. So you know that they offer like incredibly uh, high end quality made caps, high end quality made caps, as well as all kinds of other football accoutrement gear to help you support your club or clubs that you love. There you go. Um, they are now running mm-hmm. a giveaway. There is a $1,000 Talisman gift card giveaway. From now through November 22nd, there will be 10 winners. Each will receive a $100 Talisman & Co. gift card. Listeners can sign up on Talisman's website and earn extra points for following Talisman on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, tweeting about the uh, the campaign, taking their poll, uh, Talisman's poll, to let them know who you cheer for. If you do all those things, you increase your chances. And so if you go to talismancaps.com, you can mm-hmm. find the page where you can enter uh, the contest for the uh, the hundred dollar gift card giveaway. Um, also, we'll put a link in the show notes so you can just click on it, and there you can sign up and you can enter to win. 
Talisman are also always coming out with new products. Mm-hmm. And they've got some new five-panel hats from the 90s. That's, that's right. I'm going to say. It's a new uh, kit pattern collection inspired by vintage Liverpool, Man United, and Arsenal jerseys. They've got the Red Devils blue cap, which is a little bit confusing, but it's yeah. got the different patterns from the various blue jerseys of the I, 90s. I went back and looked. It's like 90 to 92 mm-hmm. era Manchester United. It's like a it's like a light blue, like uh, like almost arrows, but not quite. Like, yeah. a, like a zigzaggy, jagged mm-hmm. type uh, shape yep. and it's the jersey you would have seen say Mark Hughes uh, Brian Robson towards the end of his career and a young Ryan Giggs would be wearing uh, this jersey I like those jerseys Brian McClare do you remember Brian McClare of course yeah yeah. Uh, they've got the Liverpool candy red jersey and then they've got the bruised banana gunners hat yes. I like that one a lot I'm not an Arsenal fan but of the three I might I might wear that one I can sort of visualise Ian Wright scoring a bunch of goals in that in that jersey. That oh, was I thought you were going to say in that hat. And I was in like, that, that would be impressive. I mean, I'm sure you could score goals in a hat as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you uh, <laughs> want to check those caps out, you can. Uh, you could also check out their vintage vault. You could get great accessories like the camping mug, which we've talked about many times. We <laughs> like that one quite a bit. Do you think people are sick of hearing about the camping mug? I think they are, but I don't care. We're going to mention it again. Uh-huh. And you can get 10% off uh, your purchase, a minimum purchase of $35, using the promo code TOTALSOCCER10. That's TOTALSOCCER, the words, mm-hmm. one zero the numbers, TOTALSOCCER10. At talismancaps.com. The link to the giveaway will be in the show notes. Mm-hmm. We encourage you to sign up and maybe win one of those $100 gift cards. There we are. So thank you very much to Talisman Caps for sponsoring today's episode. More listener questions, Mr. Grove. I believe it's your turn to ask. Okay, Martha Escobar. Martha mm-hmm. Escobar asks, As a Barca fan, I often see videos of the players arriving at the stadium on game day. They always carry a toiletry bag. Don't they have a locker where they keep personal items? What is in that bag? All right. A couple of things here. I mean, I think it is exactly that. I think it's the products they use yeah. uh, like before the game because we know now that like uh, soccer players like to look as put together as possible. Yeah, so it's hair products, mm-hmm. like toothbrush, probably yeah. all that kind of stuff. You get yeah. some beard oil in there maybe. You never maybe. know. Some maybe Dollar Shave Club products. Yeah, I'm sure they should. They, <laughs> they darn well should. The reason why I think they always bring it with them, there's a couple different reasons. If you look at the locker room when it's all like laid out and pretty before the players show up to change, it's pretty Spartan that they've got like the shoes they might wear they've got the jersey that the kit man or kit person has laid out and the kind of match day stuff aside from that it is very spartan and i think a reason for that is because they do stadium tours lots of teams have stadium tours you don't really want your personal stuff kind of <laughs> out there as people walk by and they're like and i'm just gonna go ahead and yoink uh pierre and Obama Yang's uh personal kit and <laughs> or, now it's mine or gerard pk's in this case or that yeah <laughs> um so i think that is another big one and then on top of that like you just kind of want your stuff, is my feeling. Yes. And if you're going to be traveling, if you have an, a home game and then an away game, and then you're on the road in the Champions League, you don't want to have to, like, oh, shoot, I left all that gear at the stadium. i got to exactly. go back and get it all and pack it back up. And you don't want to also turn up to the stadium and think, oh, all my stuff is there. But you get there and you're like, oh, I've run out of this. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to bring this, mm-hmm. right? That's why, I mean, I only have one wash. I go to multiple locations. Mm-hmm. Right? Maybe I should have a wash bag here at the studio. Yeah. Maybe another one some other places I go. But no, I just have one. Right. And it's at my house. And when I go places, I take it with me. Yeah. And- it's worth remembering these players have often come from a hotel. Hotel, yep. right? Mm-hmm. So you need to take it to the hotel. So you, so you've got your stuff there. Yeah, true. Yeah. And and like you're absolutely right because we we often hear players say like, oh, I don't really have superstitions. Like I'm not really like I have to wear this one sock and then this one sock. But I think if you press them, it will be about. But I want to feel prepared and I want to feel like as packed and organized and ready to go as possible. Yeah. Not all players, but I think a lot of players, and I think that factors into it too. That to your point, you don't want to get there and be like, oh, I don't have any hair gel. So uh, no one knows that I have an afro, but they're gonna find out. That would be my experience. <laughs> Is like suddenly they would know that I have this weird short curly hair on top instead of my well slicked back hair I thought we should make it happen <laughs> it, it does in Richmond when I'm it gonna, gets hot and humid I'm going to steal your wash bag before <laughs> our next game my hair is so curly that on a very hot and humid day no matter how much stuff I'm putting in it it's ending up in ringlets that's how it works <laughs> Our final question of today comes from Shreyas mm-hmm. Romani. It's going to hijack my question. That's how Shre- you're going to oh, so- With the international break coming, how dare you? Are there any uh, countries who should be concerned about how their team is trending with regards to qualification for the Euros? On the flip side, are there any countries who should be very excited? I would have asked it better. <laughs> All right, so teams that uh, are not doing so well in qualification, mm-hmm. the one that really pops out to me is Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Switzerland are third in Group D behind Ireland and Denmark. Yep. And so they're at risk of not qualifying for Euro 2020. Mm-hmm. 
of course, they have the second. If they don't make it, it if they finish third in their group, they do have the um, secondary option of qualifying through the uh, the Nations League playoff mm-hmm. spots. There are four spots available. Um, Sixteen teams will compete for them after Euro twenty twenty qualifying is over. But it's kind of once you enter playoff mode, right? It's two games, and if you lose mm-hmm. either of them, you're not going to the Euros. Um, so Switzerland really should be winning that group, mm-hmm. right? Based on their standing in world football, they should be winning that group ahead of Ireland and Denmark. Um, and then the flip side, just looking at that group. Um, um, any countries that should be very excited, Ireland, mm-hmm. yeah. top of the group. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's definitely a good shout. To go to your point about Switzerland, though, I think the reason why maybe you like focused in on them is because they're sort of representative of the change in qualifying in that there are lots of teams who would be more concerned if we were going with the historical way that teams qualify for the Euros. But because you have the Nations League and what that could mean in terms of teams getting shot a shot at the playoffs. You get a second and, chance, yeah, basically. Yeah, like teams that would be in trouble like historically, but because of the Nations League are See, not. I, I say they're still in trouble because you, yeah. like, you're supposed to try and it's much, much, it's like 100% more preferable to qualify regularly mm-hmm. through the Euro 2020 qualifying group. I don't think saying, oh, there's the Nations League playoff as a backup is means you're not in trouble. No, you're still in trouble. What I'm saying is that there are teams that are like literally eliminated except because they have the Nations League, yeah. they're not eliminated anymore, which like, yes, they're in trouble because they're no longer in contention or are very long shots to qualify automatically, but it's not as in the past where now they would just be done and it yeah. wouldn't matter. You have teams like Kosovo, Serbia, Switzerland, Norway, Bosnia, Scotland, all can still qualify because they have those that playoff. So even if they don't necessarily make it directly, they still have the playoff because of the Nations League. So to me, you still have that out potentially. So you're still alive in a way when you wouldn't have been four years ago. And I think that's great for a team like mm-hmm. Scotland that traditionally doesn't qualify yep. through the regular qualifying table. Mm-hmm. But for a team like Switzerland that expects to qualify yeah. the regular way, I think they're in trouble. I think so, too. Uh, yeah, and I, and I agree with that. I also agree that a lot of the home nations seem like they're in a little bit of trouble. Yeah. Scotland, as I said, uh, are Wales are fourth in Group E. Yep. Uh, six games played, eight points. They're behind Croatia, uh, Hungary, and Slovakia. They could still catch them because it's like 14, 12, 10, and then you've got eight points for Wales. But yeah. still, fourth place is not great. Because it really felt like Euro 2016 was maybe the beginnings mm-hmm. of something. Did, right? And then this will be two tournaments in a row that then they have Gareth Bale spent his time playing golf. Uh, <laughs> Northern Ireland would be another one that was there la- last time round. This time, third place. They they don't have any playoffs or any extenuating circumstances, so they're going to have to really yeah. elevate those performances to get there. But again, you don't have the the big, big names who are potentially... There's no, like, the Netherlands are on the verge of missing yeah. because a lot of these teams have qualified. But you do still have, then, some of the teams you wouldn't expect. As you said, Republic of Ireland would be one. Hungary would be one, who, even though they, they made it last time, to have them back in there and potentially automatically qualifying. Where are they? What are they doing? Uh, they are second place in Group E, uh, behind Croatia, ahead of Slovakia, Wales, and Azerbaijan. Um, and then the biggest one for me that's a huge surprise Turkey on top of their group ahead of France I kind of can't believe it I haven't paid attention to the Turkish national team I do not know I genuinely don't know the answer. Uh, but they're 6-1-1 well, in the group. According to that group, they're good. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say so. And that means they're there at the expense of Iceland, who, uh, w- should note, do not have, as far as I know, a playoff or any sort of Nations League thing that allows them that loophole. So Iceland could very well miss out because they're currently four points behind second place France. All right. Well, thank you to everybody for mm-hmm. today's questions. We kind of expected to talk U.S. men's national team roster today, right? Mm-hmm. But... It's not released until nah. Thursday. We're expecting late morning Thursday. We will get the U.S. men's national team roster for the games against Canada and Cuba. I'm going to say there's a lot riding on this roster. Oh, you think? Because if there's no Morales, there's mm-hmm. no Dwayne Holmes, and it's the same old, same old, it'll be more like, all right, that means Berhalter is going to play the same old, same old against Canada and it's going to be more of the same, more of what we saw last month. Uh, quick, quick little roster preview preview. If you see those same names, like... Will it push you over the edge into like, okay, this just isn't going to work for me? It'll make me... I mean, I'll still wait to see what happens question, when right? they take mm-hmm. the field. And if it all suddenly clicks and Christian Roldan's like making tackles and then connecting play, I'll be like, okay, maybe yeah. finally it has all clicked. Mm-hmm. But it, So I'm still willing to hold out genuinely until the final whistle goes on this Canada game. Okay. Right? That's, where, that's where I'm like withholding my halter in or out judgment until mm-hmm. um, but if the roster is same old same old and for some reason no homes no morales i will at least be less optimistic that things are going to go well all right is that fair yeah i think so to bring it back uh 
full circle to Joey Jedlowski's question about like, would you like, go for casuals or Euro snubs? Uh, Euro snubs? I think that's where I am with this a little bit in that like, if he calls in the same people, I'm not going to be like, that's it. It's never going to work. Fire him. But my like my like bar will have been significantly lowered to the point where it would then have to be an amazing, oh, yeah. you're right, everything has clicked, and this is what we've been striving for, and it finally came together. But if it's like, oh, we won 1-0, but it was once again unconvincing, yeah. I'm going to be way further down in my estimations than I would have been otherwise. But if it is like a more appetizing roster, mm-hmm. then it's only 1-0? You still feel a little better then? I think so, yeah. because at least it shows there's some experimentation, at least in the roster. Some flexibility with selection. Yeah. yeah, and then maybe that also bleeds into we see some flexibility with how the U.S. plays and who gets to play and what ends up happening. All right, well, fingers crossed for happy news tomorrow morning. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll have a show all about the U.S. roster uh, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I said thank you, everybody, for the questions. If you'd like to send one, it's totalsoccershow.com slash questions. Mm-hmm. Put the link in the show notes so you can click it. If you can send us a question that's just like one sentence, that's what we love. A Mm -hmm. nice, clear, simple question, just like the ones you heard today Mm -hmm. on the Total Soccer Show. And if you want to make sure that your question will be answered at some point, then you can subscribe to the $10 level. We guarantee to answer your questions there. But if you subscribe at any level, then you get signed up for a TSS scout. Or as a TSS scout, you get to scout a player. Daryl will assign one. And we've got several uh, scouting reports to get to today. We sure do. Most of them, all of them, I believe, are uh, Americans playing all over the place. They are. Mm-hmm. All Amer- okay, it's an All-American Scouting Network update. Mm-hmm. Except sort of for the first one. Uh, it comes from Jeff and Sam Huffman scouting Mukwele Akele, the 22-year-old American attacker for Villarreal. He's American. No Akele news, uh, say Jeff and Sam. Uh, but Villarreal B played Castellon uh, last Sunday and won 2-1, to one, despite the fact that A, Castellon had 11 men the whole game. B, Villarreal B, finished the game with 8 men, Reds in the 45th, 70th, 90th minutes. Uh, and C, Villarreal scored the game winner in the 80th minute with only 9 men. I'm going to assume that Mikwele Kele played in that game, though. I would hope so. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, but right. no news is maybe not good news. <laughs> Nick Imhoff is scouting Emmanuel Sabi, 21-year-old American winger for Hobro. Uh, Nick says Sabi scored Hobro's lone goal in a 1-1 draw versus Silksborg. On a goalmouth scramble, Sabi was able to get a toe to the ball to knock it in. He is struggling to find consistency when it comes to scoring and needs to turn that around if he ever wants to get back on the U23 radar. Turn oh, around, Sabi. There'll, there'll also be a U23 roster named pretty soon. All right, maybe he'll be on that one. And then maybe he won't have to turn around. Maybe it won't matter. Uh, Patrick Keeler scouting Anthony Robinson, the 21-year-old American left back for Wigan. Anthony is a nailed-down starter for Wigan. Only their goalkeeper has more minutes than him this season. Uh, Robinson is a top t- is top 10 in the league in successful dribbles and was named to the championship team of the month for October. Mm, if only he could improve his successful tackles. I am then. so confused by Anthony Robinson. He's a winger playing left back. That's okay, what's going that on with Anthony Robinson. And now I'm less confused yeah. by Anthony Robinson. Thanks, Daryl. Todd Brannan <laughs> is scouting Cameron Carter-Vickers. Before we get to CCV, yeah. with that in mind, would, would you be okay with seeing Anthony Robinson brought in to try to play left wing? I mean, no, because we've got other players. Well, I don't know, because I've never, actually, are ahead of him? I've never mm-hmm. actually seen him play left wing. Mm-hmm. He, he always has played left back, right? Yep. But he just looks to me like a guy who has all the qualities of a winger mm-hmm. and not many of the defensive qualities. Um, so he'd be safer on the wing. But if we way. did try to like experiment and have the left back be more attacking and the right back stay home, I'd have maybe Su- that would fit? I'd rather have Serginho Dest be the, that mm. winger. All you right. know what I mean? All right, fair enough, fair yeah. enough. Well, we'll see what happens when Anthony Robinson is not included in the roster tomorrow. <laughs> he might be on the U23 roster. Mm-hmm. Um, Todd Brannan is scouting Cameron Carter-Vickers, 21-year-old American centre-back on loan at Stoke from Spurs. Todd says CCV went the full 90 for Stoke in their 2-0 loss to Millwall. I'm assuming it's still going badly at Stoke. The start and complete game was surprising prize coming only three days after he suffered a laceration below his right knee in a midweek game against Sheffield Wednesday, which required eight stitches. The loss was the second straight for Stoke in the Championship after wins preceding and following the international break. The most recent loss dropped Stoke back into a tie mm-hmm. for last place in the table and will no doubt resume speculation surrounding the future of manager Nathan Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully Cameron Carter-Vickers uh, recovers. Hopefully Stoke do as well, though I'm imagining if he just got stitches, he's probably not going to be called in for either team. Uh, Kaz Tidrick scouting Robbie Mertz, the 22-year-old American midfielder for Pittsburgh. Robbie played the full 90 and scored a PK in the Hounds 7-0 win over Birmingham to progress to the USL Eastern Conference semifinals. He then went the full 120 minutes in the Hounds <laughs> 2-1 home loss in extra time to two-time reigning champs Louisville City. Uh, Robbie had some bright flashes amongst what was a relatively poor performance by the team on the whole. 
Ryan Downey is scouting Zion Jones, the 19-year-old American forward for the Charlotte Independence. Um, Ryan says, with Charlotte Independence's season coming to a close, it's difficult to say what happened to Zion Jones. Over the course of the last month, he only made the squad once and never received any playing time. Jones' contract is set to expire at the end of November and there hasn't been any news of any extension. This is a fall from grace from Zion Jones, right? He was with the Schalke U19s not so long ago. He was. But, you know, Joe Gallardo was with the USU20s at one point. He came to Richmond. U17s. U17s, excuse me. He came to Richmond. He found form. He scored goals. Maybe Zion Jones comes to Richmond kickers next season. It's we striker, saw some problems. Right? Yeah, Let's make it happen. There. Get him Let's in there. make it happen. Katie Sutton, scouting Katie Cousins, the 22-year-old American midfielder for the University of Tennessee. Katie Cousins scored her first goal of the season, a beautifully, a beautifully placed rocket to the far corner, in a 1-0 win over the University of Florida in your Gators. Cousins now has one goal and four assists in what has been a disappointing season for Tennessee. That said, they have been on a good run of form, and this win puts them in position to qualify for the SEC tournament. Richie Garcia is scouting Emerson Heinemann, the 23-year-old American midfielder on loan Atlanta from Bournemouth. Mm-hmm. I did that on purpose. Heinemann, unseated $15 million man Pitti Martinez as a starter in Frank DeBoer's lineup in the conference semifinals. DeBoer said of Heinemann, the discipline that Emerson does and what he brings defensively in our box, that's the balance that I'm searching for. Then he was relegated to the bench in their 2-1 loss to Toronto in the Eastern Conference final. I thought that was the balance you were searching yeah, for, bad. DeBoer. <laughs> Nevertheless, Richie says that it's great to see Emerson find a team that fits his skill set and a manager that believes in him. I'm personally interested to see what's next. Mm-hmm. Back to Atlanta? Uh, transfer to Atlanta? Yeah. Are you mean back to Bournemouth time? or transfer to Atlanta? I mean, next season, is, does he come back to Atlanta? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like he goes back to Atlanta, yeah. but we shall see. We shall see. Uh, Anurag Anjaria scouting Andrea Novakovic, the 23-year-old uh, American striker for Frosinone. Zero goals, one assist in seven appearances, only in the starting lineup twice, and going the full 90 minutes Ooh, once. Not ideal, but better than playing for Reddings under 23s. This is true. Um, Colin Solberg is scouting Michael Edwards, the 18-year-old American defender for Wolfsburg. Colin says, Edwards has been a consistent starter for Wolfsburg U19s. He has eight starts. The team has kept a clean sheet in four of those. Edwards is doing so well that he was called up to the U23 squad for a game versus Valencia's under-23 squad in England. Mm. Colin was uncertain why uh, Wolfsburg were playing Valencia in England, aside from it being one of those weird like Premier League youth competitions yeah, which sense. features international teams. Uh, yeah, I think they do that, right? Odd. I'm going to say they call it the Premier League Cup. I believe it was. Even I think that was in there and I may have uh, it, removed that Even part. though that's not really what it is. No, it's not. Um, thank you to everybody <laughs> for the scouting reports. If you haven't received your scouts, you've signed up and you haven't received your scouts, please email me, daryl at totalsoccer.com. It's the coolest Let me fault. know you're waiting. Daryl wanted to send scouting reports the entire time we were in Germany. The Cooligans stole his computer and wouldn't let him access the scouting network. They I don't did. know why they did that. Those bullies. I know, right? Those so bullies. Mean. So mean to you. <laughs> don't listen to their show. Don't. <laughs> Do listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> listen to Christian Polanco's part, mute the rest of it, and then listen to Polanco again. <laughs> Just a double Polanco? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's terrible advice. Is it? I mean, it's one side of a conversation. Yeah, good point. <laughs> I right, don't do that. This is why I'm in charge of editing today. Show. That makes sense. You'd be making bad decisions. Probably. Um, all right. Thank you to everybody for the questions. Oh, we've and crossed the one hour mark. That's there we have. Weird. Taylor's gone weird. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I have to. It's like clockwork. It's very strange. <laughs> Let's wrap it up then. Okay. Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. It's been fine. Listeners, thank you for listening. And we'll be back again tomorrow to talk U.S. men's national team roster.